calling all AEC professionals. Get ready for unparalleled professional insights with detailed and original podcasts by RCAT. This is the podcast that brings you the untold stories and lessons learned behind the design and delivery of a building project. Hey, it's Sharice Lakeside, aka the CSI Kraken, and your host. Join me as we dive deep into the tales of conflict, triumph, and sheer ingenuity. Yeah, so when Serena was named for the, it was going to be named for the building, you know, we really were able to work with teams at Nike Branding and how to really infuse her influence and identity in the very public spaces. Detailed features architects, engineers, builders, and manufacturers who spill the beans on the most complex, interesting, and downright odd building conditions they've encountered. Another challenge of the of the shuttle is actually and putting it in launch position is how you brace that seismically. It's really supported by only two pins at the base of the booster rockets. And there's a large base isolator that's underneath the shuttle that kind of prevents it from moving too much in an earthquake. The, you know, when you have 600 people or 300 people in a room, acoustically, you really need a high floor to floor so that you can have the right acoustic environment for people to be able to talk and that, that speech intelligibility is really good. Every episode unveils lessons learned and connects you to the products you need to navigate similar challenges. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Detail today and be prepared for the unexpected on your next project. Every building has a story, and we are here to tell it. This episode of Build Smart Podcast is supported by Twin Motion, the simple real-time rendering solution to create high-quality imagery, client presentations, and interactive experiences that help communicate your design ideas fast. And as I said to you many times, you know, as a kid growing up in Chicago, I couldn't even have dreamt. I couldn't even dreamt being an architect because I never met one. Uh, and then to be able to actually practice architecture literally around the world is, that was a dream too big to dream. It was too big to even have in your mind for fear of failing. So to come back to Chicago after all these years and having that story and um, having these great lived experiences, I say to, I have to pinch myself still. The biggest dream I could dream when I got out of school was to go west someplace, out of the Midwest, away from St. Louis. I could not have imagined the life that was in store for me. And you and your family, it's got to be the same. And now your daughter, she's a citizen of the world. She's comfortable kind of wherever she is. It really is amazing. One of the great experiences that, that she had or we had in Hong Kong was, you know, Hong Kong's crossroads of the world. And so for the first time, she and her classmates would talk about their resumes, right? These are kids in junior high and high school, right? Like, what's your resume? Well, my, my father works for HSBC and we, I was born in Tokyo and I, we moved to Moscow and then Saudi Arabia. And so her friends had very similar sort of stories to hers. And um, she has, you know, deep friendships in California and in and in uh, London and all these places. And and it's it's really through her that I've been able to see how I knew it was pretty remarkable. But then when you see your children, you know, talking, you just it really takes on another dimension. And I know that that was 
possible. HOK made all that possible. I know we had to work for it, of course, but it, but that possibility, if you think of HOK as this vessel we can harness for the benefit of ourselves, but our families, that's a pretty powerful, pretty powerful picture. My name is Mark Arlapage, and I'm joined by Patrick McLaney, FAIA, and former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. This is Build Smart. Patrick shares stories from his remarkable 50-year career at HOK, rising from junior designer to CEO of the company. With themes of leadership, finance, people, culture, and so much more, you'll find that there's a lesson in every episode. Welcome back to Build Smart. This is it, the culmination of season one of Build Smart, where Patrick has shared his story and the lessons he has learned over his 50-year career with HOK, from junior designer to CEO. Established in 1955, HOK was founded by George Helmuth, Gio Obata, and George Casabon as a small architectural firm in St. Louis and rose to become the world-class design, architecture, engineering, and planning firm that we know today. Along the way, they experienced ups and downs including a triple financial crisis where Patrick found his unique talents and career trajectory in the firm intersecting at just the right time. Though financial struggles threatened the existence of HOK, Patrick's leadership and clear and systematic approach helped release the weight and burden of debt and turned around the firm's business. In our last episode, Patrick detailed how HOK finally addressed the three crises, which freed them up financially, and as owners to chart their own course for the future of the firm. If you haven't listened to that episode, I encourage you to go back and listen to all the episodes, every one of them in order, to hear Patrick's full story and insights into how to design a world-class architecture firm. In today's episode, HOK has finally climbed each level of Patrick's pyramid strategy, strong board of directors, great operations, and true collaboration. Now reaching the peak so Patrick, you and the right your goals to dream. CEO, you, you made it to the top of the pyramid. You strengthened the board. You fixed the operations. HOK was experiencing true collaboration finally. Uh, at the very top of your pyramid are dreams. So what happened at HOK when you earned that right to pursue your dreams? How did that feel? You know, it felt liberating. Oh my God, we've accomplished all this. I've described it to others as feeling almost dizzy with the height from having accomplished this years in the making, getting the firm to this place where actually we could live our dreams. And others felt similarly and were interested in pursuing their dreams, not just dreaming about them. And if you just think about that for a minute, what a rare thing to be in a place where dreams can come true. And that's the HOK that we had built. Yes. A step at a time up that pyramid. Especially seeing that you promised that, right? With that pyramid, part of the deal was at the top, we were going after our dreams. And so we just need to accomplish these three, four steps, and then we'll get to the top, and then we can pursue our dreams. And you you, you held true to your promise. Yes. Um, it was that little basic, simple pyramid idea that we had to do these things to earn the right to our dreams. 
And everybody in the board, the executive committee, and around the firm knew about it. They knew this was happening. And it wasn't something that happened on a Tuesday or a Thursday or something. It gradually dawned on us that, oh, we're actually at the top. <laughs> right. Because we began to think differently. There was a big boost to it after we completed the, the job of paying off the bank and buying out Kojima and separating ourselves from HOK Sport. But it, you know, the, the true collaboration part took the longest and it was in many respects, for me, the most rewarding, because it meant that wherever we went around the firm, people all felt the same. They all loved this firm and were willing to work really hard to keep the firm together, to keep it shiny and, and bright. Uh, so the feeling gradually came over us, but I was euphoric and realized that, uh, okay, there, was, there were some dreams that I had and dreams that others had that we, we shared so what were they and how did we go about them? One is that sustainable design. Bill Valentine had started us on this course of sustainable design, but Bill had stepped down and was then in retirement. And Bill Helmuth picked that up. And Bill Helmuth believed and believes to this day that sustainable design is the big new design determinant of our era that maybe when we were young architects, it was structural engineering, or maybe it was something special about the mechanical systems. But it was really clear to all of us that sustainable design was something that would lead to new forms and uh, new approaches to how we design buildings. So Bill Helmuth took that up and carried it to a new level, insisting that everyone begin each project, no matter what it was, with sustainable design goals, and that we measure our achievement of the goals at the end of every phase. So you, you don't just bolt on sustainable design at the end, or you don't do it when you hire your engineers, you start with that. And that was something new for us. And it did require computer technology and the use of BIM and these wonderful new programs that uh, became increasingly available uh, with open BIM that allowed us to actually track, you know, what we were, how much we were spending on a building, how much light we were admitting into a building, how much heat we were letting in, and so on. And the culmination of that for me, and I think for Helmuth, was uh, a project in Abu Dhabi, which is part of the United Arab Emirates on the Arabian Gulf. The Abu Dhabi National Oil Company had commissioned HOK after a competition to design their headquarters. Now here it is for an oil company. They said, we want this to be as sustainable a building as you can make. And it's a high rise and it's in the desert. How do you do that? Bill Helmuth took up that challenge and designed, I think it's just a signature elegant building. The headquarters for Abu Dhabi National Oil Company is a 75 story tower located on one of Abu Dhabi's most prominent urban sites. It symbolizes the company's importance in the development of the United Arab Emirates, creating a new city landmark while articulating the company's role as one of the world's most dynamic, influential petroleum companies. The tall, slender building design minimizes the ground-level footprint on the north-south orientation to provide for ample landscape amenities. The north side of the tower is fully glazed to take advantage of views and limited direct sunlight, 
while the south side incorporates fritted glass and sunshades to protect from stronger and more prolonged sun exposure. From inside the building, you get unobstructed views to the south, but the sun actually is prevented from entering the building in any major way because of the frets in the glass. The north, and Bill Helmuth always said he'd rather be lucky than smart, the north view happened to be this magnificent view out over the Corniche and the Arabian Gulf. So the, the view was to the north, which is perfect. So that's clear glass. And the building is a lead silver, and it's a high watermark for uh, design of a high-rise. How in the world would you design a high-rise and achieve a lead rating, especially in the desert? And you can do it if you work at it. Other people had ideas and dreams. Ricardo Masha, uh, the man that I sent in all these different places to fix things, he said, we should be designing the products that go into our buildings. I think every designer that's ever designed anything has started the design of a building and then gone to a product catalog and not found the product that he or she wanted, saying, well, gee, why didn't the product manufacturer do it this way? Why didn't they make it look like that? And Ricardo was frustrated by that, like all of us. And he said, oh, you know, I'll bet with our design talent, we could design products and engage with the manufacturers of products to have them manufacture these products. And our first idea was, we'll just have them manufacture custom products for us. But the idea grew. And this is a dream coming true, Mark. The idea grew to a new firm within HOK called HOK Product Design. And HOK designers who have an idea or who are frustrated by a, the design of something can design a product and engage with the manufacturer. And they don't actually do it themselves. We hired specialized people that know how to do this. And uh, to date now, we have between dozens and hundreds of products that are offered by manufacturers. We learned that other firms would not be as interested in picking a product, selecting a product, if it said HOK product design, if it was branded that way. So we branded it with something else. And it's, a, it's kind of an open secret, but it doesn't have HOK on it. The other thing we learned is that product manufacturers like Steelcase and, and many others became interested in hiring us independent of anything else just to help them put out a new line of products. And Mark, this is all, uh, this runs the gamut from interior products like carpets and lighting fixtures and so on to, to exterior and even products for landscapes. And Ricardo's dream about this was, he said, you know, we work really hard for our fees. Wouldn't it be wonderful to design something that would earn money while we were sleeping? So that was his little mantra, earn money while we sleep. Yep. And so uh, HOK product design, uh, branded as something else, is, is alive and well and continues to expand the offerings. And the hallmark of these products is they're designed by skilled designers who were interested in improving something, something up close and personal in the design experience that we, we all will have and we can all take advantage of. I had a dream. You know, I had to sell HOK Sport to the sport owners, which left a great big hole in HOK's offerings. And we had a five-year 
uh, waiting period where we were not allowed to practice sports architecture by our agreement with HOK Sport. Well, I wanted to get back into the sport business, except I wanted to do it this time on our terms. And before the five years were up, we were actively searching for another firm. But we found a firm in Kansas City, which is where so many of the sport firms seem to be located, 360 Architecture. And uh, we learned that they were interested in being bought. The two founders, George Heinlein and Brad Schrock, were getting a little up in age. They had a very good, strong group of middle-level leaders. But they were interested in being acquired, not so much for the money, although that was important, but to give more opportunity to the people in their firm. I knew George a little bit because George used to work for, guess who? HOK Sport many years before. And he and Brad Schrock had split off from HOK Sport and started their own firm, Heinlein and Schrock, and eventually merged with another Kansas City firm and became 360. I called George and I said, I understand that you might be interested in having a conversation about a merger. He said, yes, we, we would, but you should talk to my partner, Brad Schrock, who's in San Francisco. Oh, is he here on a project? We actually is living in San Francisco and working. We have a little branch office there to serve our West Coast clients. Turns out that Brad's office was maybe six or seven blocks from HOK. <laughs> so I called Brad and Brad was a very affable, friendly man. We became instant friends and we agreed to meet. And the first thing that Brad said to me was, well, yes, we would be interested in, in merging. What do you think we're worth? And I said, well, Brad, uh, I don't know yet. That's a simple mechanical kind of exercise for us. It's a matter of determining the value of your firm, just like we value our own, which is a book valuation. And uh, I said, actually, that's the least important of our considerations. The two more important things are, number one, how are you structured and organized? What kind of software do you use? What kind of accounting system do you use? How do you organize your teams? The good operations of how do you operate? And I said, we need to understand that and see what the differences are and see how we might fit the two firms together. And I said, the third one, which is the most elusive, but the most important, which is what's your culture? Are you a true collaboration kind of firm? I didn't say that to him, but that's what I was thinking. Are you the kind of firm where People want to help each other succeed. So I said, if we can answer the last two questions, the first question of how much are you worth is pretty simple. So he agreed that we would go on this journey to evaluate each other. So we, we began our prospect of looking each other over. And uh, I remember a particularly wonderful day. The HOK Executive Committee was having a retreat in Napa Valley. And we invited the 360 leaders. I think there were nine or 10. It was the senior leaders plus this wonderful middle crop of leaders, people in their 40s that, that had really learned how to put buildings together and how to work, how to serve clients. And they met us in Napa Valley at a really nice conference center. This was in the afternoon. We all sat around the table and talked. And we realized how much alike these people were to us. They weren't interested in having an exclusive arrangement for sports architecture. 
They wanted to collaborate with other offices. They had actually created 360 architecture. The name implies that they do everything. They had merged with another Kansas City firm to what? Diversify from sports architecture to everything. So they were interested in being like we are, and they were quite wonderful people to work with. So we instantly became friends. We ended up having a really nice dinner together and dinner with some uh, bottles of very good Napa Valley wine kind of did the trick. So it took us a while to organize everything else. There were some differences in operations. The accounting was different, uh, but they were using a lot of the same software that we were using to produce our work. And uh, we ended up merging not five years after we had sold sport, but closer to six. So it took us a while. It's okay. It's, it's good to take your time if you're doing something like that that's important. And uh, we took extra care to bring along the people in 360 to this idea. And I, I remember going to their San Francisco office and doing one of my Ask Me Anything sessions for that staff with Brad Schrock present and listening to their concerns and answering their questions honestly. And uh, uh, Bill Helmuth and others traveled to Kansas City the same day and talked to the staff there. So we brought along the staff in 360 to the idea and also then through a big announcement inside of HOK said, this is what we are doing. We ended up making Kansas City 360 office, HOK Kansas City again. And it's a, it's a good size office, it's 100 plus people. And the, the smaller office, the branch in San Francisco, within a few months, as we put it, why don't you come and bunk with the HOK San Francisco office? And uh, we did that again very carefully uh, by bringing both offices together in our great big conference room and letting each, each office introduce their key players and so on. And uh, it's turned out over the years since that happened that we had a successful merger. The 360 person who was running their little branch office in San Francisco became the managing principal in San Francisco. Just that is more opportunity for the young people in 360 to grow up inside of HOK. So we had 10 big offices before the merger with 360. And I liked the idea that we had Big Ten because I came from a Big Ten school, uh, Illinois. But now we had Big 11. That's okay. Big 11 has worked for me. This episode of Build Smart Podcast is supported by Twin Motion. What if you could visualize your building in a couple of clicks, remove months from the design process, or create a bridge between stakeholders to solve problems? before they even come up. Our friends at Twinmotion offer simple, real-time visualization for architects. Their technology lets you view and edit your scene on the go in the same pixel-perfect quality as the final rendering. Twinmotion seamlessly integrates with other tools like SketchUp and Revit, transforming your BIM or CAD models into high-quality images, panoramas, standard or 360-degree VR videos, or presentations. What's more? you will have access to the world's largest library of 3D assets to populate your scene. Sound complicated? Well, what if I told you that Twinmotion enables anyone to present the biggest ideas in the easiest way possible, regardless of previous CG experience? 
To download your exclusive free trial, head over to twinmotion.link slash buildsmart. That's twinmotion.link slash buildsmart to download your free trial of Twinmotion today. How familiar are you with the hidden forces shaping our world? Learn about the spaces you occupy every day with Spaces Podcasts, a journey through the design, construction, and the impact of our evolving environments. Hi, I'm Demetrius Lynch, host of Spaces, and I'm thrilled to take you on a ride through the intersections of environment, politics, culture, and economy. Join me and leading industry professionals as we uncover the stories behind the spaces that shape societies, past, present, and future. Today, there's a certain amount of cynicism and and kind of general malaise. Maybe many practices should come together and think about common goals, solving some of the major issues of the day. If I'm not mistaken, am I seeing like a wallpaper that is imitating books in some places? Yeah, I have to say, now we are in peace with this. But (laughs) (laughs) Subscribe now by following the link in the show notes, and let's unravel the secrets of our built world together. Spaces Podcasts. Go beyond the everyday, because spaces shape society. I hear you talking about your dreams. How did reaching this point in the pyramid affect your everyday operations? Did the design process improve? Did your relationship with clients improve? Did your marketing improve? Did you see any uh, results on sort of the everyday business of, of HOK? Everything improved. People now knew when they were marketing, for example, just to pick one thing, Let's put the best HOK team together for that client and that project. Doesn't matter which office. Just what it, what matters is the service to that client, the best we can be. All those things became easy to do because we had organized ourselves to reward collaboration. And the uh, I'm happy to say that the operation side of things, how to organize your office for how to continue to make a profit, how to collect money, those things are a little bit like riding a bicycle. They need a little work here and there and now and again. But mostly once people understood how to do things and they understood the moving parts, it was easier. Everything got easier, Mark. The design work, I think, was broader, was richer. More freedom. More freedom. People felt a little freer to experiment, try things. Remember, we had Carl Galeotto now in a growing crop of technical principles that were beginning to be inserted around the firm. And so the designers, the lead designers, project designers in the, in the offices had real partners for the work. People that really knew building physics, really knew about materials. And the young project architects in those offices finally had uh, mentors and leaders to uh, look up to. And uh, they had a career path that they could see. So. Mark, everything got better. I can remember Bob Pratzel being ecstatic. He was our CFO. One of his goals was, I want to make so much money that we stack it up in the hallways. Right. And everybody laughed. And of course, we didn't stack it in the hallways, but we continued to put money aside into just an operations fund 
so that we could fund our own fluctuations in cash flow needs, but finally into a strategic fund. So when we got to this 360 opportunity to merge with 360, we had the cash. We didn't have to stretch and struggle to make that happen. What a wonderful, liberating feeling that is. I wouldn't say cash is king. I'd say freedom is king, but it, cash is sure helpful. Yes. Yeah, that's such an important lesson, such a great takeaway uh, for any architect who's listening, that, that it's hard work to build those systems, to get that all to happen, all those steps that you've taken to build such a strong uh, firm. But once you get there, everything is easier. Everything is better. You have more flexibility, more freedom. Everything is, is easier and better. Yes, it's, it's, it's like maybe building any good team. The hard work of building that team, once that's accomplished, all kinds of good things happen. It's almost fluid. People were inventing new things, new ways of working around and across the firm and between offices that were almost dizzying uh, because of that now was those doors were opened. So it was a wonderful time. For me, it was very gratifying. I, I can remember uh, just sitting back and smiling at board meetings and uh, when we had people reporting on the progress of their office or their piece of the business that there were always things to do, but there was no longer a big looming crisis. We no longer had this weight on us. We were, we were liberated, we were free. So you achieved those goals, Patrick, and you made it to the top of the pyramid. You're talking about this great feeling that you've had and the, these amazing opportunities that you can now pursue. Some would hang around and bask in that glory, but you didn't do that. You decided to move on. Why did you do that? And who did you choose to replace you? I, I could say, you know, when I first became CEO, I, I talked about sometimes new CEOs have the luxury of selecting the things they're going to do to, to make their firm grow or be better, whatever it is. My uh, goals were set for me by uh, the firm that I inherited. Once those were achieved, I knew that my work had been done except for appointing a successor. And uh, the other thing is, you know, just like the founders, I didn't want to stick around too much longer. I had been with HOK, uh, grown up inside the firm, and was now approaching 50 years in the firm. I was in my 70s, which is older than the, than the founders had said that they wanted to stick around. And so I, it was time. For once the, those goals were reached, it was time for me to take this last big step, which was to find the right person to succeed me, and then maybe stick around for a little bit just to make sure that he or she did the right work and then see what else I can do with act two of my life. So by HOK tradition, the CEO gets to pick the CEO. And uh, I chose Bill Helmuth to collaborate with me in examining candidates and thinking about ideas for how the firm should be organized. And Bill, if, if everyone recalls, by then the HOK president, the design leader of the firm, the design principal in Washington, DC, and my daughter, and her family also live in Washington, D.C., in the district. So when I would visit the D.C. office, I would always stay with my daughter at her house. And when Bill and I decided to start talking about a successor, I said, why don't you come to my daughter's house this afternoon and we'll, we'll have a chat there in their parlor. 
They'll give us privacy. We won't be around other people and so on. So we sat in this beautiful sunlit parlor of my daughter's house that was also the place where they kept the alcoholic beverages. <laughs> so it was the end of the day. And I said, well, Bill, would you like a scotch? He said, I don't mind if I do. So we each had a scotch and sat there. I remember we both had some ice in our glasses, swirled the scotch in the glasses to bring out the flavor and sipped it. Scotch is not for gulping, it's for sipping. And started talking about leaders who might succeed me. And we talked about a number of people on the executive committee and a few that were on the board, but not yet on the XCOM. We had several of these meetings and Bill Helmuth took to calling this room in my daughter's house, the Scotchinarium. <laughs> and in one of these meetings, I think the third time Bill and I met, we had been considering and thinking about this. I said, you know, Bill, I think there's one person that's really most suited to lead this firm forward. And I'm looking at him. And he looked at me, he said, but Patrick, I already have a cool job as the head of, head of design for HOK. I said, nevertheless, Bill, I know that if I give you this job to lead this firm forward, you will figure out your own way to lead this firm forward and continue to lead design. And he said, well, you're right. If I, let me think about this to see if I can find how, how would I do this and still maintain my design leadership? Because I will, I got to tell you, Bill always had this way. So when he's really determined, he said, I got to tell you, Patrick, <laughs> I'm not giving up design. Okay, Bill. Okay. So he came back to the Scotchinarium, I think the fourth time and said, could we craft a role where I can continue to be heavily involved in certain design projects uh, and also be the, the CEO of the firm. My partners on the executive committee each bring something special to the table. We all get along very well. We don't always agree, which is even better. But each person brings their special piece to it. And I can be the glue and sort of the maestro uh, of all of it. And uh, I said, that's good enough for me, Bill. I'm going to kick myself up to chairman, which in HOK, the chairman's job is it's a step up and a step halfway out. Chairman have more ceremonial and less arduous duties to perform. But I remained as chairman for another year. So we had a, the usual shareholders meeting. Bill was elected to as, as the CEO. And uh, he didn't do it immediately, but he did a very wonderful thing when he became the CEO and said, the way the firm should be is that the the work is at the heart of the firm. So he did a little diagram. It's a little bit like a Swiss cross. And at the top of the cross, he had design. That's what we're about. That's why we're in business. We're about design. At the bottom of the cross, he said, this is about the technical work that it takes to support great design, the Carl Galeotto piece. And that vertical piece of the cross is the work. That's what we're about. And he said, the work doesn't have to be a building. It could be a landscape. It could be a master plan. It could be a study. It could be a report. It could be an engineering assignment. It could be anything. The product of the work is the artifact. He used the word artifact in the broadest sense to be, it could be a report, it could be a building, it could be anything. Now, what about the other sides? He said the two sides of the Swiss cross 
are really what keep the cross from toppling over. They're, they're actually helping it to stay stable. One side of it is the operations committee or OPSCOM. That's Tom Robson and his helpers who make sure that the offices are following all the good financial rules and they're, they're earning money. They're not getting too far out of line with their spending, that they, they're watching their backlog and their collections and so on. And the other side, he called it BizCom, which is really marketing and business strategy for the firm. And he put Ricardo Masha in charge of that. Ricardo, again, was the one that said, we should be earning money while we sleep. So uh, the whole XCOM got engaged in this and uh, everybody in the firm understood it, that, oh, the work is at the heart of what we are, what we stand for. So Bill kept the CEO title. And uh, uh, one year later, just about the time I stepped down, he asked Carl Galliotto, who was our technical leader, to become HOK president. So we had a role reversal that for some years, the HOK president had been the design leader. But he said, the titles don't matter. It's how they work with each other that matters. So design and technical work are at the core of what we are and everything else is in support of that. And that's, if you think about it, that's a perfect description of how any firm should be organized. And it left me to watch this unfold and sit back and smile a lot more. I was asked for my opinion. I still attended the board meetings and the executive committee meetings, and it was a lot of fun, but I felt liberated. Uh, for the first time in many years, I didn't have the big responsibility. And as I told people, it's wonderful to be a member of the HOK family and not have to work quite so hard because <laughs> I had worked a long time. And uh, I finally, uh, when Bill Helmuth took over, I was in my 49th year at HOK. And one year later, exactly on my 50th anniversary of being hired and starting under Gio Obata in St. Louis, I stepped down. And I'm always quick to tell people I did not retire. Retirement is a funny word to me. It's, it means a rocking chair or playing bridge or pinochle or something. And um, to me, it's repurposing. It's, okay, what's the next chapter in my life going to be? And it included writing the book on which this series is based. And it included continuing with Building Smart. And it including spending much more quality time with my family, my wife, uh, that I had met at HOK, HOK's greatest gift, and uh, our grown children and their children. So I've been able to do all of those things, blessed with good health and blessed with a firm that was able to carry on and be stronger than ever after my departure. Uh, we had a very, very fine big party for me two days after I stepped down in San Francisco at the City Club, very elegant, where I think a hundred or so people came and said some very nice things about me. And I said some nice things about the firm and the people. And people have asked me since, well, how do you feel now? Do you miss it? I don't miss the work. 50 years is enough. I do miss the friendships. And especially given the coronavirus we've had, my friendships have been limited to Zoom meetings. And uh, I'm as tired as anyone with uh, not being able to hug my grandkids and, 
and go out and be with friends and enjoy life. So uh, we're looking forward to, uh, my wife and I both have our vaccines now, and we're looking forward to taking our first trip out of the Bay Area, actually to Washington, D.C. to visit our daughter. And uh, if I get my way, I'm going to have a scotch with Bill Helmuth while I'm in D.C. That sounds like a good plan. Sounds like a very good plan. What a story to hear the history of HOK from the, the day you entered all the way through the 50 years of growth throughout this company and to see the evolution of such a remarkable architecture firm and to hear it firsthand from you has been such an honor. I'd love to just sort of take a minute here. HOK is now more than 65 years old. And of course, you know, some of these numbers would fluctuate from year to year, but can you give us sort of what the modern today's HOK looks like compared to the firm that you entered when you first showed up at the doorstep in your original position? Sure. And what a journey. You're right. The firm was begun in 1955 in St. Louis with the division of uh, Helmuth Yamasaki and Lineweber. And from that first office with about 25 people. Uh, that was the founding. I joined the firm when it was 12 years old in 1967. And by then the, the firm still had the one office in St. Louis, but that office had grown to 150 people. And I, I got sent to San Francisco to help open the first branch in 1970. The year that I stepped down, 2017, HOK had about 1900 people about half men and half women uh, in 27 locations around the world. And that year, HOK did 4,000 projects in round numbers of all kinds, from very big buildings to very small projects, studies, interiors work, and so on. In 80 different countries on six continents, that's every continent except Antarctica. And professional services grew in that 60 odd years from just architecture when I began to now including urban design and planning, landscape architecture, all the engineering disciplines, consulting, sustainable consulting and product design. Uh, and also over the years, six specific specialties evolved in the design for buildings and that provide still a, a very big piece of what the firm is responsible for doing every year. And those six specialties are aviation, justice, healthcare, science and technology, which is laboratory design for private sector and, and for academia, sports architecture, of course, and then hospitality, design of hotels, meeting rooms, conference centers. And that, that diversification continues to this day. And I'd like to say that HOK is stronger than the buildings we've, we've designed now these days. Uh, we're no longer teetering on the edge or on the brink of oblivion. Instead, we're well-organized, we're well-led, we're well-financed, and uh, we're, we're the place where dreams can come true. Amazing story from three partners, 25 people to 1,900 people in 27 locations throughout the world, uh, providing pretty much every professional services and six specialties. It's truly a world-class architecture firm. Yes, it is. Um, I, I, I could not be more proud. And 
it takes leadership. It takes people. HOK is not about our balance sheet or uh, even our reputation. It's the people in the firm and how well they're willing to work together under the right leadership that can make all this happen. And that story, that lesson is available to anybody and everybody that's listening to this. It's not just the HOK story. It can be yours too. So as we wrap up this final episode, Patrick, can you share the lessons from this final episode about dreams? Well, the first is that firms can reinvent themselves uh, or invent themselves for the, in the first place with determined leadership. And I add that because without determined leadership, uh, firms will, will have no future. Firms can earn the right to dream together, but it takes that cultural mix of helping each other to succeed before you can actually dream. And sustainable design is an example of a dream come true. Uh, and finally, step down from leadership when your successor is established. Don't stick around too long. Give them a chance to grow up and let others take over and live out their own dreams. Well, Patrick, this takes us to the end of this series. It's been a pleasure to be a partner with you on this podcast to come every episode and learn a little bit more about the story of HOK. Such a, uh, an amazing story, the evolution of the history of HOK, learning from the very, very early years to what it is today firsthand from someone who's grown through the firm. It's been such an honor. Uh, I really appreciated the time doing this, and I really liked coming together on a regular basis to share in this opportunity to share the story with you. I appreciate you for doing that, and I feel honored to be part of it. Well, Mark, thank you, and thank you for both you and Demetrius Lynch and Gable Media. Uh, this is a new experience for me, uh, this podcast series, and I'm struck by the added dimension of using the spoken word instead of the written word, which I spent in writing the book. So it's a, it's a whole new insight for me into storytelling. I've enjoyed it. It's been hard work, uh, but I think it's worth it. And uh, again, I'm just very grateful to you for uh, enabling me to do this. And I treat you now just like I treat people at HOK. We may have finished our last interview, but we're still friends. And thank you for that. You're very welcome. I feel very much the same way. While you may have finished this story, re-listen to catch lessons you may have missed the first time around. And I highly encourage you to go buy Patrick's book, Designing a World-Class Architecture Firm, for even more insight, stories, illustrations, and personal photos that you couldn't get here. And stay subscribed to be the first to hear about season two of Build Smart. Thank you to Twin Motion for their support of this podcast, and thank you for listening. To read along and see illustrations and personal photos that accompany this series, get Patrick's book, Designing a World-Class Architecture Firm. You can find the book at gablemedia.com slash buildsmartbook. This podcast is a Gable Media production and is produced by Demetrius Lynch Jr., Gable Media is the home of curated thought leadership for an audience dedicated to building a better world. You can listen in, subscribe, and find more content like this from our network partners at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com.
How familiar are you with the hidden forces shaping our world? Learn about the spaces you occupy every day with Spaces Podcast, a journey through the design, construction, and the impact of our evolving environments. Hi, I'm Demetrius Lynch, host of Spaces, and I'm thrilled to take you on a ride through the intersections of environment, politics, culture, and economy. Join me and leading industry professionals as we uncover the stories behind the spaces that shape societies, past, present, and future. Today, there's a certain amount of cynicism and and kind of general malaise. Maybe many practices should come together and think about common goals, solving some of the major issues of the day. If I'm not mistaken, am I seeing like a wallpaper that is imitating books in some places? Yeah, I have to say, now we are in peace with this. But (laughs) (laughs) Subscribe now by following the link in the show notes, and let's unravel the secrets of our built world together. Spaces Podcasts. Go beyond the everyday, because spaces shape society. Spaces.